Hello and welcome to Off the Record. Thank you guys for tuning in. Last week we had a very special episode with Jeff from Run for Cover Records as a guest. It seemed to do very well. Uh, I think Jesse and I will consider doing things like that every once in a while in the future. It was fun to talk with a friend. Uh, could maybe even make it work where it's more of a conversation next time instead of an interview because I think last week turned a lot of fun when we just kind of got into conversation so thank you guys for listening you can listen you can listen live on adobe at thursdays at seven o'clock eastern time and if not you can subscribe to us on itunes or anywhere else that holds podcast uh and if you leave us a nice review jesse may be less mean in future episodes but there's no guarantee but on to the show this week we have a few points of follow-up before getting into a few topics. Um, most notably, what happened, uh, in my mind, late Friday of last week was uh, news came out through an article on Noisy that Taking Back Tuesday, an emo night in LA that started earlier in 2015, as far as I know, uh, filed filed a trademark on quote-unquote emo night. Have you ever been to an emo night, Jesse? You've been to mine. Yeah, I've been going to emo nights for like eight years, which is why this is so silly. Right. There, uh, I believe the noisy article on this was really good because it showed that there are about 10 to 15 emo nights across this country that have been going on from anywhere from one to 10 years longer than uh, Taking Back Tuesday has been. Most notably, I think, out of popularity has been Washed Up Emo's Emo Night uh, in New York, in Manhattan, in Brooklyn, New York for the past several years. One that I've done a DJ night at and I've had friends do. Um, and to me, while I think this is kind of ridiculous, is that like, it's it's kind of a shame that anyone, it's, it's kind of the, it feels very like MySpace Emo for someone to try to trademark a emo night was do you do you feel that accuracy or no you know what i think is always awful it's the same thing as we got into which we're called this follow-up is like with taylor swift talking about that she's going to trademark her sick beat phrase when people have been saying these things for years and you're going to pretend that you're the one who's ad done the advent of it and while i would say this los angeles one seems to be much bigger than the new york one i looked at pictures of the new york one this week it does it is bigger it's like very this is the thing they're they're very good at hashtag branding you know uh and they have they have shirts that say like be emo or whatever right like they're very they're very much branding it in fact they've i know they've reached out to several management companies to be like can we give away your vinyl at our shows which i'm cool with like I would, you know, mm-hmm. imagine, I would love there to be an emo night in Philly made by me, and there is an emo night in Philly, right? But whatever, made by anyone where there's 500 people once a month. That sounds incredible, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fun hang, and it's way better than having to sit through a shitty band right. to talk to everybody. Everyone gets paid, everyone gets drunk, everyone just gets to scream their favorite 16 brand new songs five times you know like it's a fun thing uh at the last two riot fest thomas and i each did a dj night and they were incredible like this past year it was so fun uh chris i was playing a saves the day song while chris conley walked into the bar and he grabbed me by my face and sang back his own song into my face it was awesome and that's like that's the bright that sounds fun that was fun but like <clears throat> someone trying to trademark it and be like Hey, other emo nights, uh, I stole this idea from you, and now I'm going to make you pay me or shut it down. Like, just sound, it's a shame, I think. One of the things I think, though, that people forget about trademark is trademark is not only just for who came first, it's who 
who popularized it. And they do have a legitimate argument, just as Taylor Swift does, that they are the ones who are popularizing this. But the other thing about a trademark is, is um, and this is where they're going to get into a lot of trouble, is uh, trademarks and copyrights do have things about being more than re- regional and making interstate commerce. And until they take this franchise across the country, they're not going to have much of an argument if anybody pushes back on it. The question is, is there any money in pushing back against it for any of these other emo nights? From from what I understand, from what a, I understand, they do. Do we have to get a Kickstarter going to defend this? Do we have to get a legal defense fund to defend Ebo? I mean, this is finally the time that defending will be true. Hey, <laughs> only if we start another Facebook group. Uh oh. <laughs> Better do that before the episode airs. Oddly and oddly, oddly enough, I, we would probably need Jeff to be the leader with us again because he's you know he's oh, floated man. through time, and here we are. Do we really want to create something this awful again? Hey. I think we learned from our first child that it's a horrible child with bad genetics that is way too abusive to society. It's kind of like, we kind of birthed the sociopath. I think, you know, the world has already been burned down. So why not just step on it? But no, we will not be creating another Facebook. Emo kids are way worse than pop punk kids for one reason. They think they're a lot more educated and, um, like, uh, not sentimental, but, like, in touch with the world around them. But what they are is just kind of ignorant instead, you know? Uh, while pop pop punk kids are just kind of dumb. I I agree with you. I think, though, on my sociopath note, I think I'm going to go in and I'm going to change the picture on the Defend Pop Punk group permanently to a picture of Robert Durst in a Defend Pop Punk shirt to signify what that group has become. (laughs) Oh man. Okay. Well, I, anyway, I just wanted to. I wanted to say that I think it's a shame. Like, what, regardless of who's is more, popular, I think regardless of who's is more popular, I think there's definitely like kind of a a thing around the washed up emo one, especially because of the podcast. Um, whether you like, love, or hate Tom Mullen, who does washed up emo, what I appreciate about him is that he's cool. He, like, ultimately, he just wants more of a sense of a community, and he wants it to become more and more popular, not for his pocket, but f- so more and more people love the emo bands that he loves, you know? And I think that's great. But it it's it feels like the opposite to make it uh to make it trademarked in what seems like it would be a negative way. It doesn't seem like there's any good reason to really trademark this. And and I think that's a shame for the community. I'll just blame that on LA as a whole because that's how I feel about LA, I guess. Zach, you know what? There's never been a point in this podcast where you said more things that I th- feel like they were just coming out of my mouth because this is what I would usually say. So I'm very happy you just said all. Hey, we can both be 35 year old old men. <laughs> and yes, I and I yes, I made you younger so you would smile. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so the other bit of follow up we have is um, we did an episode called "The Loudness Wars," which is episode 34. Somebody asked where the romp samples were from. That is the episode. If you want to revisit this to know what we're talking about, you can go there on offtherecord.fm. But so YouTube did a very interesting thing that someone just discovered a few months ago, which is YouTube is now neutralizing the loudness wars as well. So what this means is YouTube is now taking down records so that they're all at the same volume, pretty much. Now, they're not at the same overall RMS, since that's what record loudness actually does, which is why this gets a little funny. But we have a link in the show notes that shows what they've done and i think it's a good read for anybody who enjoyed that episode on to the show i think uh you know we're gonna talk about some blurred lines jesse so the big the big subject that we're a little late on since we did a different episode last week is that whole 
Blurred Lines lawsuit where Pharrell and Robin Thicke and T.I. were uh, sued by Marvin Gaye's family uh, over a song that sounded similar. So this is a very big deal for the punk community. Didn't not see that coming. Yeah, well, I mean, so here's the thing is, whether we like it or not, punk is a little bit more of a derivative format than many other uh, genres, mostly because I think there's a more limited parameter set than, say, hip-hop or say, dance music, just because you're using the same instruments, very similar tones, et cetera, et cetera. And while I think punk's gotten better about that over the years, um, it still is very derivative. Um, one of the examples I like to cite that I was went on my little drunken Twitter rant with was um, taking back Sunday to tell all your friends, then Fall Out Boy on the Patron Saint song stole the exact same melody and had a huge song off of it. And then the Red Jumpsuit Apparatus had a top 40 song off of Face Down, which sold the same melody as well. I think that just kind of shows how derivative this is. So where this comes into play with Blurred Lines is many people go, oh my God, they stole that song from Marvin Gaye. But here's the thing about copyright law with songwriting is that it has to share the same melody. It doesn't matter about drum beats, chord progressions, anything, because that's all so ubiquitous. So it's only about, so my dad understands. Yeah. It's only about that part where it gets stuck in your head, but you don't really know the words, but you can you can put fake words in there and it still moves along. Is that accurate? Uh, I, I don't know if that's the best characterization of it. Well, char- make it make it for dumb people. Okay. You have to be using the same melody, with which, and now when I say melody, I mean the same note choices and the same length of the notes. Ah, so it's a little more specific. This, yes. So for some reason, the judge, and we don't really quite know why, and every lawyer, like Billboard did a panel of lawyers, and everybody's kind of perplexed about, like, why the judge ruled this, but it doesn't seem to follow the copyright law. They are appealing it, and... Hopefully it will be overturned by a judge. I mean, one of the reasons we have appeals in the legal system is because judges sometimes are slacking. Anyway, um, the point I wanted to make, though, is that what was unprecedented about this case, and the reason you're seeing everybody freak out about this case on your Facebook, is that this would basically make it that if a song sounds similar, even though it's not an exact replica, that you could sue for it. So, for example, Taking Back Sunday could get all of Fall Out Boy's money and Red Jumpsuit Apparatus for the same thing, because I would say that's even more similar than this case. And there's tons of other times. I mean... In my opinion, Lifetime could be suing a bunch of bands and, you know, Screeching Weasel could be suing a lot of bands. I mean, this gets really bad and the Ramones could be suing them. This, it sets a really, really bad precedent. Now, is that actually going to happen? No, there's not enough money in punk these days. But there is a lot of money in a, you know, what was arguably the biggest song of two years ago. Mm, It was a big song. So big, I don't know if I've heard it. I I think it it was the biggest. It was between that and Get Lucky. Those were the two best song, biggest songs that year. And so, but, and you, you, I mean, from your take, I I think it feels like uh, you, you care a lot about, this kind of maybe being appealed so this doesn't happen in the future is that like it needs to be it can't just be like we don't just want the walls to come crashing through because it's not accurate or do you take a different take copyright law was originally intended in a simpler time to be something that protected people who had ideas from getting their ideas stolen but what has become now and i'm somebody who's usually for greater regulation your father is going to really like that i'm saying this um (laughs) or less regulation, I'm sorry, not greater regulation, that a lot of these laws are hindering innovation. Like, so for the perfect example is there's a great article about how copyright killed public enemy sound, is that while public enemy was taking small samples from songs that you could barely recognize, 
people were then saying they were stealing it, even though they weren't taking the melody, just as the copyright did. But then the threats of all the lawsuits basically made it so they had to change their sound because they were spending more money defending themselves than they were actually making. And they were frivolous lawsuits. And so the biggest problem we have now is a, a law like this that strengthens copyright to an extent that is just absolutely stupid. Um is ridiculous. The other thing I would say is this Marvin Gaye song is so old and not even a song that's like really common on the radio. It's one thing if you steal, uh, you know, a Beatles song that's still played on the radio every day, but this Marvin Gaye song, it's kind of obscure for the radio. And it's just like one of those things like this is not a ubiquitous thing. This is also why until Sonny Bono, who made a horrible, horrible extension of our copyright law years ago, basically when songs turned 50, they would no longer have copyright and they would become part of the uh, public domain, which means that you could do whatever with them because it's basically say they're so ubiquitous in the culture that they're just embedded in this and you can't be expected to uphold copyright laws. Sadly, the lobbyists went and got him to make this extension. So, for example, that's why you don't hear Happy Birthday sung on TV shows is because there's a copyright, someone who owns Happy Birthday. That's one of the most ridiculous examples of it. Another great example of how stupid our copyright laws is like so... There was a documentary on uh, Les Miserables backstage, and they showed what everybody does backstage during the show. And at one point, they showed somebody watching The Simpsons, and you see The Simpsons for one second, and Fox sued them for a half a million dollars for showing The Simpsons for a half a second. Oh, man. Yeah, so that's why our copyright law is really I'm stupid. Who can I sue? <laughs> well, <laughs> to offer the more educational part about this is, if you think this is stupid, there's an organization called Creative Commons that is stronger, that is... Um, smarter copyright laws. It's run by one of the smartest people in the world, Lawrence Lessig, who's a Harvard professor of law. Um, I use Creative Commons on my book because I don't think there's anything wrong with somebody taking one paragraph from my book and quoting me in it and saying this in a certain context. I don't think there's anything wrong with nonprofits taking sections of my book and putting it out there because I don't need the money from something that's simple and stupid. My book, 730 pages, taking a paragraph does not mean you're stealing from me. It means you're citing and you're building off of what I thought. Right. These have much more sensible copyright laws. You can do this with your music as well. Anything you create, you can make, use a Creative Commons copyright. You can even do it with your YouTube videos. Right, and, and from what I also even like, it just seems in general like we need to take a, the country or legal people need to take a better look at both copyright and patent issues currently. But that's probably yes. a bigger uh, this discussion. This is a big thing in tech. Yeah. Very big thing in tech every single week. Yeah. So, so. with that, with a not as big uh, announcement uh, that didn't affect the uh, whole music community. As some not related but somewhat related follow-up to last week's episode with Jeff and Run for Cover, uh, Run for Cover announced this week that Me Without You had joined the label. This is more probably of interest to me than Jesse, but I, I found it interesting in that Me Without You uh, left, a, left a larger label uh, to self-release a record a few years ago called Tent Stories. Me Without You are are in my mind kind of like a, a quiet, guaranteed success story. This is the band's, I don't know, seventh album, sixth or seventh album. It's, I think it said sixth for yeah. the announcement. They, they, have a, they have a bit of a cult following for sure. It turns out their last record has sold upwards of 30,000 copies, uh, which is a lot, by the way. Like, yes, a lot of times we want bands to sell hundreds of thousands of copies, but 30,000 copies for an independent band that self-released their last album is pretty incredible with almost no touring as well. And, um, you know, you can do the math 30,000 times 
whatever, $10, still a lot of money. Uh, and so it's really interesting that they had all this success and, you know, potentially sustainable success, uh, but but opted to join Run For Cover Records instead of releasing something on their own or going with a more established, quote unquote, old label. Like you could you could imagine, I don't know, uh, me without you signing to Epitaph and it might not being as big of a deal because it's just like, oh, that makes sense. Old label, old band trying to do the thing. Uh, but I, I found it kind of refreshing that they signed to run for cover because I think it's more of a uh, more of a risk. R- Me without you have a very dense fan base. They're the, I think their their ultimate fan is the kind of fan that goes to their show only to see Me without you, and they don't necessarily care about anyone else. And uh, Me without you, to me, signing to run for cover is kind of a decision of like we want to get a younger fan base. We want more bands. We want more fans to know about us. We want larger bands to know about us and think we're cool and run for cover signing me without you, I think is really interesting because as far as I can think of, and Jesse can correct me if I'm wrong, run for covers never signed a quote unquote old band before. Um, I think this is like one of the run for cover has signed plenty of bands. They've signed bands that have been on other labels before them, but this is like the first band from a different generation of a legacy that I think Run For Cover has ever signed. Again, unless I'm just crazy right now, but I actually think it's pretty accurate. Similar for like Top Shelf signing Braid. The label had never signed like an old timey band before and, and it takes statue to do that. And I, I think it's smart of Run For Cover. It shows diversification. And uh, I think there's something about overcoming nostalgia and trying to be current for me without you here and for run for cover, trying to trying to break in somewhere else too. And I, I just thought it was an interesting development. I don't necessarily have much more to say there. Yeah, I have nothing to say because uh, the second I hear that band's music play, I run out of the room. Wow. Jeff's never coming back. Not a fan. Jeff's listening to this right now. It's like, fucker got me on before he started. Talking shit. Taking shots at my record label. Yep. Now that he had me on. Talking shit. I can't take those bubbled, talked vocals, man. It's really just because you don't like... Um, no, actually, I'm not going to go there. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a more interesting topic to talk about, which um, you wrote an article called First Doesn't Matter. Or you, I should say you made a comment about Yes, First I commented on an or... article that was a short article that I commented on on a website I run that has my name on it. And it was called First Doesn't Matter. It was an article from The Verge in relation to MacBooks. So in relation to tech, had nothing to do with music. But um, the overall tone of the short article was Apple last week released a new MacBook that weighs two pounds, is the thinnest thing in the world. Uh, They invented like a new kind of keyboard, a new kind of trackpad, and it only has one port on it, which includes the charging port. And a lot of PC makers started firing back. Oh, we released a laptop that was three centimeter, three milliliters smaller than this last year. Or we've used this kind of pert first or whatever, whatever. But no one bought those computers and no one even knew that they existed. And so the point of this article was first doesn't matter. Uh, quality and experience continue to matter more than anything else. Quality matters more than speed. You can get there first, but uh, like how many people do you know with an Android Wear watch compared to how many people you might know with an Apple watch in a month, you know? And and I thought it was kind of interesting in relation to um, blogging because with the new site, I don't want to necessarily have to be like, oh my God, this new band announced a tour. If I don't post this, my world's over. 
Um, but Jesse also thought about it in relation to music. Well, so David Bowie has this, is actually like the person that I know of that popularized this quote. Is a, he said, it doesn't matter who does it first, it matters who does it best. And he kind of made a career out of this in the 70s is that anybody who knows about David Bowie like knows like he also got arguably brought Lou Reed and uh, Iggy Pop. Like he was kind of like what Kurt Cobain did in later years of like, or in his time of like bringing a lot of the underground artists up to the foreground. And he did have a great point. There's always somebody in music who's taking what the underground does and popularizing it. Hey, you could say Avril Lavigne did that to some extent. I love that punk rocker. I might rocker. get rocks thrown at me if I said that at a uh, public forum. Girl writes hits. Girl, someone wrote hits for that girl. Yeah, some they were called The Matrix. Love them. It, it was a terrible time in our really? lives. Ugh. You think? Ugh. Ugh. What was so bad about it, man? It sounded great to me. I love, I love, I love, I love pop music. That was some insufferable shit. One of the first CDs I ever bought. Ooh. Did did you want to be her skater boy? I thought I was. I, <laughs> oh, I don't know how to. I don't know how to skate, Jesse. I'm not punk. Oh wow, yeah. that is very not punk of you. Yeah. Um, I have a bad. Anyway, I have a bad center uh, of balance. You know. So- uh, the thing I wanted to impress upon of this was like, like I always think about like even taking it further in a way that everybody can relate to is um, Friendster was first in the social networking game, you could say, and no one gives a fuck. MySpace was even second and destroyed Friendster, and then now we have Facebook and no one gives a fuck about those two. They're dead. They're irrelevant. And then to take it to music, like I can remember a particular... Um, there's this band Madison who were signed to that drive-through subsidiary Rushmore, um, and I produced all their stuff. And um, I can remember when Hit the Lights came out, and everybody was like, "Oh my God, Hit the Lights are the biggest Madison ripoff." And now these kids in Madison, I would say that two of them are still two of my best friends in the world. But I had to say, yeah, they're a ripoff, but they're doing it better. And there's a reason that Hit the Lights is still around making great music and Madison's been broken up for nearly a decade. It isn't who matter who does it first. But so that gets into a different thing that I think that is really weird with bands because like one of the worst things you have is a band who imitates another band and then just never can get really get their career launched. And you often want to tell bands, no, you should be original. You should do something new. You shouldn't just be this bad imitationist band, but hey, if you can do that band sound a little better, there is often times that that band that's the imitation just ape, apes the other band, but really does know how to bring it to the next level because they're not doing that well. You know, I had a friend of mine who wrote me to ask an opinion on a band I heard. I said, like, this band sounds exactly like Transit in the American scene, but I actually think they're singers way better than both those bands singers so maybe they'll do it better but you know you just got to find that path where they get there and that is why first doesn't matter it's interesting like uh we all actually before i think jesse signed man overboard and trended to rise like everyone would only talk shit on rise because they were making this thing so popular and they were the first to make this metalcore thing so popular and or the rise score thing and what's funny i don't know it just brought it up it just made me think of it like it's funny to think that those bands weren't even really popular to how they are popular today, right? Like, we all thought the world mm. was over because Attack Attack sold, like, 20,000 copies first week, and they ruined the world, and then Attack Attack broke up, and, like, Rise's medium-sized bands are selling more than that. And it's, like, 
everyone was like, this is the apocalypse. And you know what, Jesse? The apocalypse is here now because Sleeping With Sirens will sell 65,000 copies of their record next week. Oh, man, I listened to that record on the way in today. It, it was like nails on a chalkboard. What, you don't like female-fronted bands? I don't like any band there. The singer thinks he's Anthony Green, except for bands that Anthony Green sings for. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I, I agree with this though. I'm like, being so mean today. You are. Wait until we get to the questions that ask if uh, that ask <laughs> if we're punk or not. I think this is interesting. Like a lot of bands want to rush something, but also kind of like counter. If I want to counter this for a second, sometimes first does matter in the sense that if a band like so, Title Fight got a lot of coverage in uh, like Vogue and GQ for this hyperview cycle, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I asked a few of my publicist friends a day after, and I was like, how many how many bands and managers hit you up to get in GQ and uh, and Vogue after they saw it go up for title fight? And they all replied. I expected it to be dozens, and they're all they all replied like at least five to ten people asked. And like you don't want that's all that's worse in some ways, right? Like first doesn't matter always in the sense of like if you rush to put out a shitty product product and someone else can do it better. But if someone else gets something first that is like a major coup and then you copy it, that's also just as bad to me, right? Yeah, but then, you know, the thing is when 12 bands do it, then it just becomes a thing that's ubiquitous and it's part of the zeitgeist. Kind of. I wrote that, which is funny, I wrote this article today that went up called, um, I, I, mm, sorry, dad. Uh, I, yeah, I, I know what you're about to say. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote an article today uh, called Cir- Circle Jerk, The Plague That Is Premier Culture, about how, uh, from, in my mind, premieres are dead. They're dumb. They're like, they're a bad, incestuous thing and in that it doesn't do anything for anyone. And that's kind of the same thing as, as what you just said in the sense that like all, like everything just becomes more of the same and then why why it was special that that first band got a premiere on Vogue is no longer special when the 15th band gets it, right? I was just excited to put that in my headline today. I felt really punk about myself. That's actually probably the answer to the question later. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Circle Jerks are one of the punkest bands of all time, too. So. Yeah, do you think I'll ever hear a song by them or no? I bet you at some point you're going to go to a show yeah. and you're going to play a Circle Jerks song or a, betwe- or a cover of a Circle Jerks song between the bands, and then you'll hear it. Whoa. <laughs> see? See, I got you there. I think that's how I found out about Descendant. K- kidding. Rough, dude. Kidding. Really rough. Kidding. <laughs> uh-huh. That's what we all say when the truth comes out. Anyway, another topic we've been waiting to discuss for a while is the uh, news that Zane Lowe is now an employee of Apple instead of the BBC. So if you don't know who Zane Lowe is, I always find it funny because I don't know anybody who listens to radio still, but the one radio I'll listen to if I'm, like, working in the afternoon and I'm bouncing down a master and, uh, like, it's I'm not, I don't have to listen to it, is I'll put on Zane Lowe if it's on, because Zane Lowe, he plays a lot of terrible music, but he is, one, one of the best interviewers around, and two, if you're going to find the cool new band in indie, usually he's playing it first. Jesse needed to preempt his compliment by saying he also plays terrible music. I mean, let's be honest, dude. Like, anybody who plays Florence in the Machine that much, oh, God. (laughs) Anyway... So Zayd Lowe, though, is arguably a really respected tastemaker. And, man, the dude has just got a talent for interviewing. Like, I definitely try to steal some skills from him all the time. If the name and, sounds, uh, like, familiar but you can't really place it, he recently did two very high-profile interviews with Kanye West, uh, as an example. And Rick Rubin, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think Rick that Rubin. was even bigger. 
Anyway, so he's gone to Apple to work for Beats. So why is this interesting? Well, so when Beats first came around, their whole thing was that they're not going to be like Pandora where they're making this dumb algorithm that recommends you music. They want to get people who know music and get them to curate music for you. You know, suggest other things that you would like because they like it and they're a tastemaker and they know music, not some computer going, yes, you like this, so you like that. I think it's very interesting that they found arguably one of the most well-known tastemakers in the business and have brought him aboard. Yeah, uh, I I find it really interesting. Also, something I like about... Uh, low as I've read more about him as as all this has been happening is that like you know we just said like he's done really high profile interviews with Kanye West and um, Rick Rubin but he's very diverse like someone like myself right I'm super focused and uh, kind of ignorant about other music genres that I'm not super focused on which is good in some ways and bad in others Zane Lowe is like all knowing uh, for instance like he he did something with Kanye West he was also the one that premiered the new Fallout Boy album like he has tons of reach in many different ways same thing with other massive artists like overseas from yeah, here yeah. like my chemical romance he's he's just a huge radio jockey and everyone seems to love him even the weird dance music i always joke about listening to i get a lot of that from him yeah like he is on it um and apple scoring him away from one of like you know maybe one of the most influential music play like one of the music most influential music jobs in the world is um real is a is a major feat for them i think and we don't know what their vision is quite yet but i think we can maybe both agree that it seems to be getting a lot more interesting potentially right i think he's gonna be making playlists and i think one of the biggest futures of all this stuff is gonna be getting more people to curate uh stuff in a radio type way you see it with like i listen i'll look at a lot of the pop music blogs i follow and they're really starting to almost treat their spotify playlist like it's the a weekly radio station yeah it's becoming very popular and i'm like man i tried to do this two years ago <laughs> with our- you did you were you, I, you were very early early on it i think that there's going to be an evolution of it that's coming very soon but uh we're not quite there yet i think it's going to be a it's going to take some time before you see like celebrities doing their own radio stations all the time for well that's this stuff that's what podcasts are for man yeah, but podcasts, you can't license the music easily and stuff like that. Whereas with the, if you start doing it on Spotify, you don't have to worry about music licensing and the artists are automatically compensated. Absolutely. Um, poorly. Poorly, but... No, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited. I think this could also maybe play into a world that Jesse and I pondered a few weeks ago or maybe even a month or two ago at this point about like Apple, comma, the record label, question mark, of... Uh, there, there, there was this rumor that again got shot down, and there hasn't been more whispers about it since. But about Apple buying Taylor Swift's record label and what that could mean for them, and if you know, if you if you put rumors like that together with, an, like the new Beats Music service and the rumors for what's going to be on the new service, and then Apple uh, getting Zane Lowe stuff like that, like I don't know, I, I, I just it feels like Apple's about to kind of get very involved with music again, and. I, I'm excited for that. It doesn't seem like it necessarily has to be a bad thing. It seems like it could be a really good thing. Maybe not even necessarily for me, but like the general consumer too, which is awesome, I think. Yeah, I, I'm all for there being a way that I can get music recommended to me from my Apple TV easier since I often am sitting there writing in front of my Apple TV wanting to hear music while I'm writing. 
And I can now get HBO now on my Apple TV. What a beautiful thing, Jesse. I, I, I already had the HBO Go on mine, so I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. So you don't share your password with me, man? Come on. Uh, come on, come on, dude! You got you're gonna try to call me out and make me admit that I'm using my parents' password. No, well, yeah, because I knew that's I knew that's where we were going. I know you don't have your own. <laughs> this is the thing: there are only four HBO Go passwords in the world, and uh, they're all parents. <laughs> and we we everyone has the same one. <laughs> um, it, it it really is kind of true. Yeah, we also got. Uh, a little follow-up from several, several episodes ago from Off the Record goes to college and Off the Record gets a job. Uh, and instead of breaking them out into another episode, we just wanted to answer a few quick ones. Uh, Hi, Zach. I applied to and was accepted into Drexel, though not the music industry program. And I was wondering if you had any advice for someone looking to get into band and tour management. I thought I saw you mentioned you went to Drexel and I thought who better to ask than someone who's going to school and I want to that I want to go to and seems like he knows what's up. Thank you very much for thinking I know what's up. Uh, as Jesse often says, I run a medium sized blog, so you can't respect me all that much, but I appreciate <laughs> you respecting me a little bit. How to get into band and tour management. It's tricky. I, I got into band and tour management and I in a way that I would say is not very often going to be the case for someone as in I had a mediocrely sized successful website and a booking a booking agent friend of mine said hey uh my best friends are in a band you should check out this album I listened to the album not with any kind of business mind I wasn't like can this band blow up but I fell in love with the album and I was like so what's the game plan here he was like if you do well talking to people, maybe you could become the manager. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. And then I, and then so on and so forth. And here we are today. Um, for most people, I would say, if you go to Drexel, uh, there happens to be 500 punk bands three three blocks up from campus, all trying to play house shows. There's going to be four people, four different bands in your uh, grade by the end of the first week. If you love any of them or if you're in any of them, try to make relationships with them, not out of a gross business mind, but because maybe you don't want to play in the band, but you think you can be of wisdom to them of how to get vinyl made, how to get CDs made, where to get t-shirts made, how to do punk t-shirts, etc. Show, I would say, show young bands that you're growing with, like help them out to do things that they can't do that will save them time and make them money. And uh, the second question here is, I'm currently a junior in college, and I would like to work in the music industry. I've looked at a lot of music companies, but none of them pay interns, and I can't afford to intern for free. What can I do? I got bad news. Uh, I do too. (laughs) You're not going to intern in the music industry as a junior in college and get paid. I'm sorry. Unless you get an internship at Apple working for their iTunes department where you would make $60,000 a year as an intern, it's not going to happen. Did you know interns for tech companies get paid that much, man? Get how much? 60000 Yeah, they get like legitimate life. That's such an outlier. This is this is the usual media focusing on an outlier and a usual media focusing on the exception, not the rule. No, it is the That's exception. The it is the exception. Yeah. But I'm just like, Wow. Anyway, uh, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there, there was a famous story like 15 years ago in the New York Times about the $150,000 internship, and then it's leaked that this kid's father has tons of money and basically pays into the company so much stock 
it buys them so much stock that they just gave the kid a $150,000 internship. Like, this, it's so dumb when people focus on these <laughs> stupid stories. But uh, regardless, our point kind of unfortunately stands. Well, so I would like to make a greater point, is the thing that they says that they said is uh, he can't or she can't afford to intern for free. Your time is a pie chart. And I guarantee you, if you analyze your time, if you really want to work in the music business, you're going to have to figure out how you make time to make that work. Now, not to say that an internship's the only way. We discussed many other ways where you could bypass the internship period, just as Zach and I pretty much did our entire lives. With that said, there is always a way you can, if you really want something, you can figure out how to make it work. And that's part of the skills of being an adult. And I hate to sound like such an asshole dad here and be the cop and the suit all at once, but like... There is going to be tons of times in your life, if you're doing this, that you're going to have to look at your time and you're going to say, you know what? I can't play Call of Duty as much. I can't hang out with my girlfriend as much. I can't do this as much if I want this more. And you have to make a decision. Do you want this music industry job more than that? It, it sucks. Not, not everybody has rich parents. I didn't have crazy rich parents who could pay me a salary while I interned. I had, or even just the time, I had to have jobs and do other things at times. And like... You know, I'd watch other people who had crazy rich parents who could afford to do the, to give them these things. You got to figure out how you make it work with the set of situations you've been handed. Make lemonade out of limes, Jesse. You know, limeade, I prefer more to lemonade personally, so I'd be happy to do oh that. Oh my God. The show where I quit. <laughs> What's wrong with limes, dude? A good lime at a Corona in the summer? Oh mm. my God. You are my father. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to drink one of those with him. To start off our questions and slowly take this podcast into a descent of hell, and somebody has an interesting question that says, uh, our band is in the pop-punk realm. I prefer to play all ages, but I'm starting to see tw the 21-plus crowd as another potential market. Do you think playing 21-plus shows is damaging to a band's image with their younger audience? You want to go first, or should I? I kind of, like... I don't know, I have, like, quick thoughts. I don't know that I necessarily have a lot of perspective here, mostly because I'm a little confused by, like, I don't know many opportunities that are in the 21-plus world that aren't in the all-ages world, except for the occasional show that's 21-plus, right? Like, it's not like, hey, I can make a million dollars if I start playing this show, this 21-plus show, instead of an all-ages show. Like, I don't... Maybe I'm just ignorant to the music scene that this one person is talking about, but, like, for example, in Philly... There's a few 21 plus venues, but the majority of them are all ages or 18 up. And so I don't really, I guess I, I don't. Yeah. This is an increasingly uncommon thing. But so my easy answer to this is go ahead and do it. And trust me, if you're fucking up and your audience doesn't like it, you're going to know about it on Twitter fast enough to repair it. Because you're going to get tweets and Facebook comments and whatever else that tell you how much they don't like this. I can remember man overboard playing like one dumb 21 plus tour on a tour we were just support on we got like four emails from kids freaking out about this and we, we didn't even know it's just that thing you're gonna you're gonna know if you do this and then you're gonna learn your lesson and it's not gonna be the end of the world you could still become the next fallout boy taking back sunday red jumpsuit apparatus huge band who rips somebody else off wow you're just bringing it around <laughs> yeah i i just think it's more of a I think you always want to play to anyone that can come see you. If you unfortunately have to play a show or two on tour that has an age restriction, 
that's just how it's going to go sometime. But, you know, if you're in a pop punk band and you think most of your fans are 14, it doesn't really seem like uh, the grass would be greener on the other side. So I, I would say just be smart to your environment around you. I, uh, here's another potential thing is let's say you get offered the opening slot for the Dropkick Murphys show. You know, yesterday was St. Patrick's Day and I saw they played in the airport, um, which I thought was pretty cool. So they're on my mind. But like... Yeah, you're going to play to a ton of people who will never come to an all-age show and maybe get a ton of potential new fans. And then just book an all-ages show two weeks later. Problem solved. Wash your hands. Move on. Move on. We have some riveting, very riveting, hashtag ask uh, OTR questions this week for your two very special co-hosts. The first one is, uh, you know, we thought on this for a while. We didn't know if we should answer last week, but we're going to get around to it now. Jesse from at Dragon Mustache, and he he meant business. This Dragon Mustache man, are denim jackets punk? Well, there's two justifications for how punk denim jackets are. Two. One, I wear one, and then two, the Clash wore them. And all you ever have to ask yourself when you're trying to determine what if something's punk is: one, does Jesse Canna do it? And two, did the Clash do it? Then you're you're done. That's basically the end of the equation. So yep, I just. Just want us to uh, make sure we're on the same page. You're putting yourself ahead of The Clash. No, 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 no. I mean, The Clash is where I learned it from. Okay. I told you, we did the first episode. I read that I read that Joe Strummer from The Clash quote about what punk is. What punk is? Man. Mm-hmm. Like, Gotta go way back to find that one, like 40-someone episodes. Practically the meaning of life. That question. Uh, I, I, it's, apparently, by the questions we got this week, that is uh, the meaning of life. Let me ask you one more question about denim jackets, Jesse. How do you feel mm-hmm. about the denim jackets with the hoodie combo thing that is becoming a trend? I mean, I, I've seen it done right. Like, when it's done the health goth type of way, I kind of like that on a girl. Health goth? Come on, dude. Do the Google. Is health goth a genre? No, it's a, it's a fashion style. Okay. It's it's like this it's like this thing where you're kind of dressed to go exercise, but you're in black and you're looking kind of goth. You got the black hat on. You, you, the the girls around Drexel aren't rocking this look. The girls around Drexel, huh? Meh, they're not really. Uh, no, it's more just. There's no style there. There's just sweatpants. Well, when I'm walking through the streets of East Williamsburg and Bushwick, there's a lot of health goth going on. My girl sometimes rocks the health goth when she's like at the gym. Sure. I'm into it. Okay. I'm into it. She takes takes selfies, sends it to me. I'm like, yeah, you go, girl. Oh, I see health goth. I'm on the Google. I see it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can pull. I can pull off. Can Can men do health goth? <laughs> That men can do health goth, but you you dressed as health goth is a good laugh. Okay, I see a picture of Kanye West doing health goth. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. K- K- Kanye could definitely do some health goth. Okay, good to know. And one one more, Jesse. One time, I saw you in a denim jacket with with denim jeans. Listen, my Canadian t- tuxedo look. You got you got to be very advanced to pull that off. But I am so advanced, I can pull it off. Okay. I just, uh, I'm just putting that out there, you know? I mean, who has a better pin collection on their denim jacket than I do? So, like, that already there says it. All right, well, moving on before you guys all turn this off. Um, (laughs) (laughs) From at 
Butchnat, who asked a few good questions this week, some of which we're saving for next week. Um, why would Zach say that the Warp Tour lineup is the best in a while when the leaked main stage is the least diverse and worst in years? Although the smaller stage are above average this year, the main is so awful this year. The main being the main stage, not the band, the main, who are not playing Warp Tour this year. And also a terrible band. Okay, Jesse. Uh, yeah, I'm really you're, putting, today. you're putting me in a hot seat position right now. <laughs> no. Uh, so I really like the Warp Tour lineup this year. Uh, there are between 10 and 13 bands that I want to see that I like or that I don't get to see often. And then there are about zero to six bands that I'll never go to a show in my life to see on my own volition that I love to see at Warp Tour. You know how excited I am to see Attila at Warp Tour this summer? Very excited. Still maintaining we got to do that live broadcast of their set at Skate and Surf. Yes, uh, I'm excited to see Pierce the Veil at Warp Tour this year. I'm not a fan of the band, but I've been told repeatedly that they put on an insane live show, and I want to see what the children love. Uh, there's this band 68 mm. that has Josh Gogan from the chariot in it. It's not my kind of music, but I'm interested in seeing the band. And so I think everyone kind of has the wrong perspective of Warp Tour. And when I say everyone, I mean, not everyone, but everyone. Um, it's okay. If you don't want to see any bands on the main stage, it's okay. I promise you, if you want to see 10 bands that are not on the main stage, is that a bad thing? Let me like, I hate to break it to you. There's no way you're going to watch more than 10 bands at Warp Tour in one day. There's just no way. And realistically, you're not even going to see more than seven. So if you want to see 12 bands and you're only going to see seven of them, why are you complaining about the 40 other bands you don't want to see? Am I wrong there? I, I think your justification is great. I just don't know why anybody would go to Warp Tour. <laughs> Jesse, I was uh, that time. I was just being. You're I was just trolling me. I, 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 I was just, I was just being a dick that time. Okay. I, I've enjoyed my time at Warp Tour. Okay, yeah, so, I'm not going this year, but I've enjoyed it when I've went every year. What, so, how do I like to answer this question? Like, why do I say this is the best in a while? Uh, I've gone to Warp Tour many years in a row at this point. There's not a single year where I've been truly disappointed in the lineup. Last year was the first year I ever said, wow, there's not 10 bands I want to see. Usually there's 10 to 15 bands I want to see, and this year's no different. There's this band Mooseblood from the UK that I love right now that I think could blow up, but it's really hard for them to tour in the US because of money. They're on Warped Tour all summer long. This is an incredible chance for me to see them several times because it so happens that I manage two bands that are playing the tour, and I'm going to go to a lot of shows. And I can't wait to see Mooseblood, for example. I'm really excited to see both The Wonder Years and Man Overboard on the main stage because I feel uh, the growth of my own life being akin to their growth as a band in the past five years. And I'm really, I'm going to be really proud to watch those bands play the main stage. Like, these are things that are okay. Um, you know, I'm excited to see a bunch of other bands play. Like, this is a good thing. I think it's a very good lineup this year. Um, if Pierce the Veil bring twenty, if Pierce the Veil bring ten thousand kids a day, and that helps pay for Man Overboard, The Wonder Years, Moose Blood, Knuckle Puck, Have Mercy, etc. Like, why do you care so much? Just get over it and go watch the bands you care about. Anyway, that's yeah, that's my little rant. So the next question is also for you. Somebody gets some facts very wrong. I'm about to be a very rich man if this is right. Since you co-own the label that Real Friends is signed to, no. 
I just wonder if you could give some details on how the tour came together with the maid. Could you also give some details on what it's like being the uh, singer of Man Overboard? Yes. Um, <laughs> it's hard to, honestly, it can be hard to blog as much as I do while smoking as much weed as I do, but I get it done. Anyway, I, I don't, I don't. That was very good, very you. good. I don't co-own Fearless Records. Uh, I know this person was uh, was under the assumption that since Bad Timing Records put out a seven inch with Real Friends, and I am a co-owner of Bad Timing Records, that Real Friends are fully signed to our label. They're not. That was a friendly one-off release. Um, uh, Real Friends are on Fearless Records. That is uh, not owned by Property of Zach or Zach Cirillo. Um, but I can answer how the tour with the main came together, I guess, if that's of interest to anyone. The main were in the summer of 2014, so a long time ago, uh, during Warp Tour, uh, reached out to the main to be direct, uh, sorry, reached out to Real Friends to be direct support for their tour. They had gotten friendly while both being on Warp Tour last summer. Uh, the main are releasing a new album in a few weeks, and they wanted to try to have a more diverse lineup that skewed younger, which I thought was very smart. Um, the main most recently have gone on tour with like Anne Berlin and made a parade, uh, etc. And those those are good tours, but they're not necessarily getting the main new fans. Uh, and Real Friends also were coming off of a headline tour where they played to five hundred to a thousand kids a night, and frankly, it's a pretty smart move for the main on a headlining tour to do a tour in 2000 cap rooms to try to get 1500 to 2000 people to see them a night and try to get a lot of new younger fans. Um, Real friends wanted there to be a band that they sonically got along with more on the lineup and that, and the main were uh, cordial enough to offer knuckle puck, another band I managed to be on the tour. Um, we thought this would be a really cool opportunity because everyone asked for real friends and knuckle puck to tour together. And why not do it on the biggest tour either band will have been on at this point. Uh, it's going to be great experience. Like for example, for knuckle puck to play 2000 cap rooms before warp tour and before releasing a new album. So it's a really exciting tour and I'm uh, excited for it. I will be out in LA and Chicago and all of the East coast, which will be exhausting. Did you know I go to school? Um, <laughs> But you won't be in school anymore. I will be. Oh no! But for this main tour, I will be. I am. Uh, oh, I'm okay. graduating. I'm graduating college and leaving for Warp Tour like a day or two later. So, <sighs> you go, girl. Thank you. I uh, I got an A. Uh, I got an A and a B plus on two of my grades for winter term today, Jesse. Uh, so you should be proud of me. Uh, uh, me and your mom are so proud. Thank you. I'm not going to tell her until she hears this, Mom. When you hear this, please text me. Tell me that you uh, miss me and that you're okay with me being away on my birthday this year because I got good grades. Thank you. <laughs> she was very ups- she was very upset at me. She tried to Jewish guilt the hell out of me. Uh, this is this is a reoccurring. She was like, "Why are you not here from yeah?" She was like, "Why are you not here for me on your birthday?" I'm like, "Really? You know how selfish this sounds, mother." Wow. Come on. You you know what? You come back with her when she was telling you that. Uh, Hanukkah and uh, Christmas, uh, you know, this is the, your last year of getting all these gifts. You say, well, you know, now I'm too old for to celebrate birthdays with you, too. Better rethink that whole thing. One, I had forgotten about that. <laughs> I think it blacked. I think I blacked it out of my mind, and now I'm heartbroken all over again. Two, this is a genius idea, and my mother will try to curse you. Wow, <laughs> great idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, sorry about that. All right. Um, so our next question... Uh, pains me to even say this out loud. Can someone claim straight edge before they t- turn 21? 
So I'm first going to be nice enough to um, answer this with a logical thing before I get really mean. Ian Mackay, who started Straight Edge, wasn't 21 when he started it. So you do the math there, kind sir. My second answer is, if you're thinking about things like this during your daily life, you are wasting your stupid life. Read a book on Stoicism. Read Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States. Do something useful to exercise your mind instead of thinking about something this stupid. Wow. I'm in a lovely mood. What's up, your butt? I've been working. This is my first day to sleep in in like 20 some odd days. Jesse, I slept till uh, 9.45 on Saturday. It's the latest I'd slept in a year. I gotta be honest with you. I, it's been, been a long time since I haven't been up since about then. And uh, it's been really killing me. I've been working way too much. Too many records to produce. You're definitely too old. You're definitely too old to be doing that. <laughs> you know, if we want to get another TED podcast in here before you die, we got to make sure that you keep healthy. <sighs> yeah, man. Uh, let's just go to the next question. <laughs> Uh, what's so? What's the most? And this, so we we opened this up with uh, a question about punk, which was our denim jackets punk, and we're closing this out with the the real the real harder hitter, which is what's the most and least punk thing either of you have ever done? Uh, you know, I've been thinking about this since like nine a.m. when I put the question in our notes, and I'm not sure I have quite the answers yet. Do you do you have has anything come to the top of your mind? Can I answer for you, and you answer for me? Oh, that'd be great all right you your least punk thing you do is listen to terrible piano pop music are you you like vanessa carlton and that what's that guy jack's man guy jack's man oh that's not very punk okay um what's the most punk thing you do i mean you do help run jade tree records that's like that is the most punk thing i think when i think I think the punk community was pissed off when that happened yeah that's really they're like no we have to let him in damn Truth be told, I was doing the whisper campaign behind that. Uh, I I just thought of what the least punk thing you've ever done has been. But go ahead. Starting the Defend Pop Punk group. <laughs> <laughs> it's close. Yeah. I, 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 I'll tell you what the least punk thing I think I do is. Yeah. Uh, I I pay eight dollars for green juices every day. Well, that's it. <laughs> There's actually you've never done anything punk. Have any of us ever done anything punk? Is punk a real thing, Jesse? I do, dude, dude. I, I'm just gonna remind you for a second. I've produced records by the Misfits, Conflict. I produced a record from Leftover Crack called "Fuck World Trade." Oh yeah. Oh, also, I'm fucking. I'm okay. Well, Jesse answered it himself. So he's drinking his green juice right now instead of Red Bull, like a normal producer, and uh, that's it. <laughs> Well, thanks for listening to Off The Record this week. To keep up with us, you can check in at offtherecord.fm or twitter.com slash offtherecord.fm. Jesse's on Twitter at, at Jesse Cannon. I'm at Zizarillo. You can listen in with us live at adobe.com and you can even give us a rating at iTunes or ask us a question by tweeting hashtag askotr. Thank you. We'll be back next week.